Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today opens with this observation. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Well, you say, that's great, huh? Jesus you know, is making a big splash and there's a lot of people following him and he's very successful. The numbers are up. Now that I'm a seminary rector, we're always concerned about the numbers of students, and when there are a lot of them coming, we're happy. When you sponsor a talk or something, and how many came? Were there a lot of people there? So that's natural. You know, we, we like it when there are big crowds. But I want you to think about something. How many were following Jesus at the very end? When he was hanging on the cross, how many were following him? Well, there were a handful of people. His mother, St. John, a couple other women. Keep that contrast in mind. Beginning of his public ministry, he's a miracle worker. He's a charismatic presence. He's a great preacher. Of course, people were attracted to him. There must have been a lot of people who follow Jesus the way uh, people follow pop stars today. He's the latest thing. But contrast that again with those who were with him at the end. It's easy to follow Jesus when everything's going great. But will you follow him to the bitter end? See, that's the question the gospel raises. The Lord himself undoubtedly sensed this, which is why he turned to this great crowd of followers, all of these fair-weather fans, and offered one of his greatest, most slap-you-in-the-face challenges. Listen. Again, imagine the crowd, festive, and upbeat, and excited to be with this charismatic figure. Here's what he says to them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Imagine how that went over. So here's this big crowd. They all want to be his disciples. Sure, we want to be with this cool, charismatic uh, figure. But now he lays out the cost of discipleship. Quoting there, of course, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave us that wonderful phrase, cheap grace. See, the people who were following Christ in the beginning were probably devotees of cheap grace, Grace that doesn't cost anything. Grace that makes no demand. What Jesus is saying to this great crowd is, are you willing to follow me all the way to the bitter end? Because see, here in all of its raw glory is the great spiritual principle that undergirds the entire gospel. I mean the principle of detachment what the Greek fathers called apatheia, what Ignatius of Loyola called indifferencia, indifference. The heart of the spiritual life, listen everybody, 
is to love God and then to love everything else for the sake of God. Put that on your screensaver. Put that on your refrigerator. Uh, plant it deep in your heart. Spiritual life is about loving God and then everything else for the sake of God. To get that right is to find the path. But as sinners, as St. Augustine said, we fall into the trap of loving the creature and forgetting the creator. We love the creature, whether that's sex, pleasure, power, money, whatever it is. And then we forget or marginalize the creator. That's when we get off the rails. We treat something less than God as God, and trouble ensues. You know, we're, we're great on self-help um, books in our culture, self-help tapes and all that. I'm unhappy. What's the matter? How do I solve my problem? People have made fortune writing books about this. There's a very simple spiritual answer to that question. If you say, as we all do, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy, I'm unfulfilled, what's the problem? The problem is you're treating something less than God as God. This is why Jesus tells his Fairweather fans here they have a very stark choice to make if they want to stay in his company. Jesus, and again, this is very important, isn't it? He's not just one figure among many, not one prophet in a long line of prophets. Jesus is the very incarnation of God. Therefore, he must be loved first and last. And everything else in your life has to find its meaning in relation to him. That's it, everybody. That's the principle. And again, it's like my homily last week about humility. You know, it's, it's very easy to state the thing abstractly. But man, is it hard to live. The same thing is true here. It's very easy to state this principle abstractly, but it is, it's the great struggle of life to live it. So in typical Semitic fashion, he makes this point through a stark exaggeration. Unless you hate your mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Well, he's not advocating, obviously, an active, aggressive hatred of the people nearest and dearest to you. What's he saying? And again, it's a Semitic style to do it by means of, of sharp exaggeration. Hate them in the measure that they become gods to you. For precisely in that measure, they are dangerous spiritually. Let me say that again. Hate them. Yes, your mother and father, your children, your brothers and sisters, hate them in the measure they become gods for you. Because precisely in that measure, they are dangerous spiritually. What does that mean to treat these, these loved ones as gods? Well, whenever you make what is pleasing to them, or rather, when you make pleasing them of ultimate importance to you. Whenever you make the achievement of their dreams the supreme value in your life. Whenever their opinions or point of view or expectations for you become ultimate. That's when you're treating your parents as gods. You're giving them too much centrality. Think, of friends, of many of the stories of the saints who had to break with their parents in order to do what God wanted. Maybe most famously, Francis of Assisi, 
who had to break with his father, who was a, a merchant. And Francis has this radical religious conversion, begins handing everything away, including his, his father's possessions. And the father, of course, brings a formal complaint against Francis, forces him to return all this, which Francis famously does, and then even turns his own cloak over to his father and said, I renounce all of this to follow the Lord and then walk naked out of the town. There's a saint who decided to love Jesus above his parents, hated his father, you might say, in the measure that his father was becoming too central. Think of St. Thomas Aquinas, my favorite saint, who discerns as a young man that he wants to become a Dominican. It was outrageous to his family. Dominicans were this new upstart order of beggars that they were socially unacceptable. His parents had great plans for Thomas to become a abbot at Monte Cassino, the great Benedictine abbey. At least he'd be a socially respectable figure. Instead, he runs off with this, this cockamamie group, the Dominicans. And so his, his family locked him in a tower for a year. Thomas resisted, I mean, nonviolently, but he resisted energetically until finally his, his family relented. They let him go. Unless you hate your mother and father, brothers and sisters, you're not worthy of me. Thomas followed Jesus rather than the expectations of his family. How about wife and children? Aren't they quite properly the people you should cherish the most? Well, yeah, sure, cherish them, of course, but not the most. See, there's the key. A great danger can be that parents make their children so central to their own lives that they start to manipulate them, dominate them, make them live out their parents' fantasies and hopes. We've seen that happen all the time. That's loving your children too much, if you want. It's putting them in too central a position. Or parents give in to their children so thoroughly they lose sight of their own mission and their children's mission. See, both parents and children have to realize their lives are not about them. They're about a power, a higher power to which they belong. So in the measure that even your own closest relatives are treated as gods, they become too important. They become a nightmare, spiritually speaking, which is why they have to be hated, to use Jesus' language. Now, the most telling part of Jesus' speech is in the final phrase. So unless you hate mother and father, brothers and sisters, then he says, even your own life. You see how radical this is. For all of us sinners, to varying degrees, our lives have become God to us. We see the universe turning around our ego needs, our projects, plans, our likes and dislikes. I mentioned last week uh, building monuments to ourselves and fortified cities. True conversion, that metanoia that Jesus talks about, is so much more than moral reform, though it includes that. It has to do with a complete shift in consciousness of awareness. It's a whole new way of looking at one's life. See, hate your own life, meaning hate your little ego projects. Love God 
and then love your own life in relation to God. Does that make sense? That your life will become meaningful, important, rich, joyful in the measure that you surrender it to God's purpose. Now, last step. If there were any followers left after Jesus sums up his teaching in these um, extraordinary words, he leaves them with what must have been gut-wrenching to a first-century audience. Listen. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I say gut-wrenching because these people knew what the cross meant. It meant a death in utter agony, nakedness, and humiliation. See, we, we think of the cross in religious terms. We've seen it decorating our walls, and we've heard that pious rhetoric, take up your cross, and so we spiritualize that language right away. But see, they didn't. They knew what the cross meant. They knew it in all of its awful power. What Jesus is saying here is, unless you crucify your ego, you cannot be my follower. This move, everybody, this terrible move, has to be the foundation of the spiritual life. And that's why, in closing, he uses that image of the building the tower. You know, if you're going to build the tower, what do you got to do? We got to lay the foundation. You don't lay the right foundation, the tower's going to come down. What's the foundation for the whole spiritual life? Love the Lord your God first, 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 first. And love everything else, including your own life, for the sake of God. That's the foundation upon which the tower of the spiritual life alone can be built. Hard stuff, challenging stuff. Okay, are we in that crowd of thousands following Jesus during happy times? Or are we willing to follow him all the way to the cross? And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.